Welcome to episode 430 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Thursday, February 23rd. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, it's a beautiful day here in Texas. I hope you're getting the same out in California. How are you doing today? It is. It is beautiful out there. In my head, it is a little less beautiful. The, the two-year-old was a piece of turd last <laughs> night. The hours of about 3 to 6 a.m. I do not know why, and I'm tired of it. And when I let him know that I was tired of it, he screamed to the top of his lungs and woke his mother up. So I didn't even give, I didn't even get credit for oh, giving her. Oh stupid. my gosh! So I look like a dick. No I'm wonder you're kid. so frustrated. Kids yelling at me. We've all had no sleep. It was not the most fun morning, but you know what? It's the kind of thing that <clears throat> half the audience is going, "Oh, breeders." And the other half of the audience going, I oh, know, man. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah. The ones with kids are like, yep, <laughs> yep. Love my kid, but it, uh, he or she is a punk, uh, a large percentage of time, a larger percentage than you would probably think. And you and I were talking off air because you were telling me a bit about what happened. I said, you know, I respect that you're honest about it instead of pretending that your kids are these perfect humans all the time, you know. We, 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 we go in on our, on our best friends, our significant others. Why would our kids be any different? Like you're not mm-hmm. railing him mm-hmm. to a space, but when you're talking about him, you're like, yeah, he annoyed the hell out of me. I was very frustrated <laughs> with it and I respect the honesty. So, uh, we're going to push through though. Hopefully we'll, we'll make your day better here talking some baseball. We did just release the catcher rankings to finish up our positions. The last one to go will be the bullpen tomorrow with the bullpen report and myself posting that. So we've got our first run of rankings out. Uh, we're going to update them in about two and a half weeks, uh, the week of March thir- 16th, I think, March 13th. That week, um, just in time for the b- three big weekends, the, the 18th, 19th, the 25th, 26th, and then April 1st and 2nd. So uh, you can find those each position. Catchers was the last one, and it's actually kind of perfect that catchers were the, uh, were the last one to go up because our only transaction for the day deals with the catcher signing, and our question of the day deals with catchers as well. How are you attacking the position this year, Eno? It's a it's a clear uh, top tier, followed by a, a, a blob of similarity with with a wart here and there, kind of depending on what you want. You can get the batting average out of Yadi Molina. You can get the power out of Evan Gaddis. You get that playing time and, and some solid power out of Sal Perez, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you position? How do you feel like you're going to position the uh, catcher in two catcher leagues, which is what you and I mostly play? Attack the blob. <laughs> I like no, I just, that. I'm a I'm a bottom feeder. I just uh, I I don't the top. I see Buster Posey. He's thirty. I see Jonathan Lucroy. He is one. Thirty and eight months. Yep. I see Gary Sanchez. He might have and Wilson Contreras. The next two guys they might have an adjustment period. I see mm-hmm. Salvador Perez as a compiler. Absolutely. Uh, with a lot. A lot of run on those knees. I was going to say lots of so, risk that you know hasn't come to a head yet, but actually I think it has because I think it's really cut into his performance too. You know we've seen Sal Perez hit hit three thirty one, three hundred one, two ninety two his first three seasons. He was looking like a guy who's going to have nice batting average with that volume, um, and then hopefully add some pop. Well, he's added the pop, but it's come at the expense of his batting average two sixty two sixty two forty seven last year. So. I'm not, and the and the plate appearances are going down. 
because they're not only giving him some breaks, but he's you know gets nicked up back there. So I'm with you on Sal Perez. Just I don't yeah. love it. By the way, quick thing: Kyle Schwarber will qualify at Yahoo this year. We didn't get a time time to add him. Whoa. We made the initial list that was up in the air, and I forgot to circle back. So I'll take the hit on that one. I did reach out to the guys to get their ranking, and if I can get them all by uh, today, Thursday, I will update the sheet on Friday. I'm spoiler alert: he's going to be third. That's my guess. Uh, I feel confident that the guys are mostly going to put him between first and third. Someone might put him first or second, but I think his number uh, for Schwarber will be third, and I will update that as soon as I get the rankings. Do you have him third, or, or would you have Gary Sanchez ahead of him? Um, you know, I might actually have Gary Sanchez ahead of him because I think that Gary Sanchez will hit for a better average. I agree with that part for sure. I, I, I'm, I put <laughs> Schwarber third, but I agree with the with the uh, batting average piece. I mean, that, that's uh, it'd be really exciting to shop in the Sanchez-Schwarber-Contreras uh, aisle and if any of them fell you know beyond the fifth in the fifth round i think in the sort of uh, one catcher 15 team league then i would probably pounce just because that's a lot of upside mm -hmm. and you know when you're past the top 75 players you're already looking at your second outfielder your mi your ci so at that point i think i'd jump in but i don't think that any of them will drop that far Maybe they will. If they do, then I'll jump. But I'm not going to take Salvador Perez in the sixth or seventh round. As much as I like Yasmani Grandal, I'm not going to take him before uh, the 10th round. I'd rather yeah. not take him in the top 150 players because I don't think his bat is really going to give me that kind of value. Well, he's uh, a bad average deficiency for sure, yeah, even exactly. with the power. And I love Grandal as well. I think I slotted him uh, fourth because I'm a fan, but it's that it's – that, uh, fall off from one, two, three, which it'll be a fall off from four, and he goes down to five with with Schwarber in the mix. But it's a giant fall off there, and the market agrees with you on Grandal. They got him right at about that pick one fifty spot. He's actually at one forty six yeah. uh, with a peak of one hundred two. Who are some guys around there? Do you have a? Can you look real quick at a, like a, the one forties? Who's who? I, like other bats? I, cer I certainly can. Um, I'm looking at that. I, I had it by position. Let me get over to. The, the overall there, and I'll let you know who's going around Grandal because yeah, that it is a tough, it, it's a tough sell to take a Grandal when you've got, for me, I really like Jake Lamb, and he, he's going two picks later, just right. ahead of him is Jackie he's Bradley hit Jr. 20 or 30 points higher, Lamb is. Oh, I, yeah, and, uh, and the same, and same power from a rate standpoint, right. but, but higher volume from Lamb, most likely. Right. Um, yeah. Yasmani Tomas, never really been a huge fan, but I think think I would even take that Yasmani over Grandal when they're the same price. I'm sure there's some good pitchers that would be And that's what it is. It's mostly pitchers. Right uh, let, me, let me just yeah. give you 140 to 150 real quick. Matt Harvey, Tanner Roark, Dallas Keuchel. Oh, my God, yeah. Your yeah. boyfriend, Sam Dyson, JBJ. Matt, Matt Harvey, Sam Dyson, yeah. Grandal, Buxton, Tony Watson, Kevin Gossman, The Beast, Jake Lamb, and Yasmani Tomas. So I'd probably take 75% of that round ahead of Yasmani Agreed. Grandal. Agreed. So as much as I like uh, Grandal, I won't be able to get him at that current cost. You know, things change in a two-catcher and everything's different in that situation. Then then they actually get a big boost from their position. Then I would boost everybody up a little bit, and I would like really like to get one of Sanchez, Contreras, or Schwarber in a two-catcher situation. In a two-catcher, I, I am. Uh, maybe not taking the pains to get Posey Lucroy, but then that aisle that you talked about, the Sanchez, Schwarber, if he qualifies – Contreras Grandal grouping. I would like to get my first guy there and then attack the blob for my second. I don't yeah. like to go completely 
zeros on catchers anymore. Um, I, I, you know, they've done the math. You can look at it in the baseball forecaster. They do these these reports in the beginning of the book, and they've shown that it's just it's a it's a massive negative value return on uh, bottom barrel catchers. You're just almost yeah. guaranteed to get negative returns, and I just don't think it's worth it. So I, I you will don't be really want Jet Bandy as awesome as his name is. Uh, yeah, amazing name, but you don't want to go Jet Bandy Jan Gomes. You know, it, yeah. if Jan Gomes is your two, then then you got to have Wilson Contreras. You know, you, you want to have something propping yeah. it up at the front end. Uh, you can get a fake but, player like Tom Murphy. I, I don't mind <laughs> that. But uh, but then Tony Walters is still lingering, and that's why I ranked those two right by each other. It was a punt for me. I, I'll admit it. Uh, it was well, a punt. Because they I had the know. whole Rockies preview on MLB Network the other day, and they couldn't decide who was the starting catcher. So I think that's that's an interesting thing. Exactly. But um, you know, in one catcher league, I really I just really like some of the names at the bottom. So if you're in a 12 team league, Evan Gaddis and Wellington Castillo, yep. those two names are great. Fully agree. Evan Gaddis might hit 30 bombs. Are they? You know, there is some playing time uh, worry. I guess that stuff plays but, itself out, though. I, I that might sound like a cop out, but I really don't think it is. I, I, I'm trying to think of the last time a situation where a guy with that quality of a bat was squeezed out of playing time and just didn't play. You know, Beltran, yeah. I love him, one of my favorite players, just in general. He's 512 years old, which is awesome that yeah. he's still playing at that age. But and, and we don't know what Yuliaski Gurriel is going to do, and he's no spring chicken. Even though he just came over, he came over after a superstar season. Might not really Cuba. have a power for for first base. And... Exactly, Aoki yeah. is not a guy who is the bastion of health, and he's thirty five. So I think that playing time piece will figure itself out. And even though I've never been a huge Gaddis guy, when he has catcher eligibility, sign me up with that punch. Um. Well, I take Castillo just going to the great park, you know, and Beef. it's a park that's created guys in the past. And he's, I think he's returned, you know, sort of 12th type value in the past already. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not that you're reaching too hard. I mean, Weeders, that's, that could be good. And a 15 teamer, I actually like Cameron Rupp. Um, he, he made some steps forward last year that suggest to me that he could do about the same again. I believe in that little power increase that he had. And I think he can, hit 250 with 15 homers again and that's Agreed. i think you know in a 15 team league that's uh that's gonna get you that's like probably the bottom quarter but it's still top 15 type value and if i wanted a little upside i'd go i might do a rup mezzarocco thing where i or or darno and i get an injury you know bounce back candidate on my bench and those guys i think especially darno actually i think both of them i i think i'd love to if i was still writing as much about fantasy i'd probably write something about what kind of guy you want to put on your bench early on and i think one of the things you want to do is put somebody on the bench where ground ball to fly ball mix is really important so because ground ball to fly ball mix is the first thing that becomes useful in terms of stats in terms Mm -hmm. of stabilizing right 75 plate appearances or or 75 batted balls so if you put mesoraco or darno on your bench and you're trying to decide, well, will I play Rupp or will I play one of these guys? Because you don't really want to have two catchers on your roster. But you could go into the season with two catchers. And then you watch the first two weeks of Rupp and Darno, and they're hitting 50% ground balls, done, gone, mm-hmm. get rid of them. You know, and that, and that can make it, that at least makes it easy to know what you're looking for. It makes it easy to have the guy on your, on your roster for a little bit and then move on if it doesn't work out. You're basically planning your first moves 
without having to pay the fab that goes with it, knowing that, that okay, I'm going to cut one of these to open up the roster spot, but I'm doing it with, with a purpose here. And, and catcher's a spot where you can definitely do that. Now, that's a one-catcher situation that we're talking about. Before I get to Weeders, because that's, that's the transaction that we're going to cover, of course, I want to ask you about Austin Hedges. It's a guy who was never known for his bat coming up. He he ranked well on prospect lists because of his catch and throw ability and, and what he could do behind the dish. That was always the calling card. And the thing was, if he can just have like a, a 700 to 725 OPS bat, he's going to return enough positive value uh, to be a quality catcher in the league. Well, the bats really struggled to come together. He's been a 750 guy in the minors, and that was uh, he needed a huge season in AAA to even get to that level. So that's kind of my question, though, is how much do you believe in the big season? I know it was at the PCL, uh, and, and that certainly helps it in El Paso, but, I mean, this was something that we've never seen from from him. His, his time at AAA has been outstanding. Now, in 413 plate appearances, Austin Hedges has 23 homers, 97 ribbies, a 326, 361, 583 triple slash. How much of this is real, and does it make him an intriguing uh, potential C2 in leagues this year because it looks like they're clearing out the path for him, even with Bethancourt kind of uh, bouncing around. He could be a pitcher. He could be an outfielder. I mean, they're, they're really uh, making him a utility guy as catcher, outfield pitcher, and I think they're clearing the path for Hedges to be the number one guy. Do you buy any of his offensive surge at AAA? Well, I'm looking. I do not like this new baseball reference. Yeah, You'll get used to it. It's amazing. How dare you? Uh, okay, but I can't find <laughs> oh, the minor okay. leagues. Oh, um, it's right next to. It's the same spot it used to be, though. If you look, kind of like in the middle of the page there, where like the splits, the game log, it's to the left of splits. It says minor fall winter league stats. Do you see it? Oh, it's down. It's just below the like profile. Stuff. Oh, there it is. You see that? They have two header rows now. Yeah, you'll you'll get used to it. It's still dope. It's still dope. There, okay. There's a few things, right. but, but... Well, I just wanted to point out that Anthony Rizzo hit 450 home runs. No, he hit 26 home runs and had uh, 1056 OPS in AAA uh, Tucson for San Diego. And then he went up to the major leagues the next year and hit... 15 home runs and had a 180 ISO. And he's been nothing so, ever since. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, um, no, I, I'm not suggesting no, that. No, no, I know. What I am saying is that uh, I think it's still Tucson. It's El Paso. Make sure now. that it's El Paso now. All right. But also, but it's still a PCL. It's still a PCL and it's still a favorable hitter's environment. And. It's so far beyond what he did before. I mean, he's been like 180s, 190s. I don't know. Uh, like a 300 plate appearance power surge. Somebody asked me, what's the thing I believe in the least? And that's that's the thing I believe in the least. Okay. That, that's fair. It's a 300 plate appearance. If I had ground ball rates, somebody also asked me that in the chat today. If I had ground ball rates, launch angle, exit velocity, I might, you know, sort of believe uh, believe in it more right if i could see oh he totally changed his his launch angle then then i'd have something but we we don't have that for the minor leagues and um so i'm left uh thinking no i, I think you know best case scenario he has league average power with 
you know, like almost no walks, league average strikeout rate. And that's going to lead to, you know, what the projections say he's going to do. Hit 240 with, you know, 10 to 15 homers. But And, and bottom of the order but, in San Diego. Yeah, it's going to be pitches. really bad in terms of runs on RBI. Yeah. It's okay. Really bad. Let's he move over to Wieners then. Uh, Combined. Matt Wieners signs in Washington. You know, it was really getting tough to place him. And I think part of the reason that I didn't jump immediately to Washington was because they also traded for Derek Norris and that they were, you know, betting on a rebound from him. Uh, now they've got two guys, and and I actually don't hate this move for for the for the Nats because I figure with these two guys, one of them should get back uh, to a reasonable facsimile of of what they of what they used to do. Both coming off of uh, less than stellar years, I think it's a deal. It's one of those deals where he can opt out after the first year, and of course, if he does well, he will opt out and go back into the market. But what we're looking at, of course, is is, is the fantasy angle. Does we is Weeders now the presumed starter over Norris? Um, are you are you completely ignoring Norris now, or would you still take him as a C two? How do you feel about Matt Weeders in Washington? Uh, just about as it relates to him and Derek Norris. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking past Norris. Well, I don't. I don't think. I think either, okay. either he. Yeah, I think he either gets traded or <clears throat> he just doesn't. He he might bounce back a little bit, but there's something that happens when you're when you're that far gone when you're you know like a 180 hitter. It was brutal last year. Like if you don't bounce back in a big way and you start out at 200 the next year, they don't really. And this doesn't show up sometimes when you're doing when you're doing a historical analysis and you say, oh, the last you know the qualified hitters that hit 180 the year before, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and bounce back include this guy and this guy. Well, those are they were qualified the next year, so that means that they actually were given a chance. How about all the people that hit 180 and were out of baseball? Survivor bias, I believe they call that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think Norris is a backup catcher at this point. Well, here's another factor. I don't even think that other teams are clamoring to to sign up to get him because he's not that great offensively. His framing stats, if you look at bulk got up to the 10th, 10th or 11th by, by baseball perspectives. But if you look at it by um, call strikes chances, you know, by chance, if you look at it sort of as a rate stat, he was 22nd last year, and he was worse the year before, and I've never heard a good thing about throwing to him. So I don't think that, exactly. you know, I don't think if you're a young team, you're like, oh, I really want, my young pitchers to be throwing to this guy. And if you were going to like trade for Norris, why didn't you just go out and get Weeders? Cause it wasn't that expensive. And there's a hell of a lot more upside in my opinion. I know Weeders is catch and throw um, and framing is, has taken a tumble, but he's shown the potential before. I think another reason that Norris could get moved. I, I, I tend to agree with you here is they've got um, Pedro Severino kind of, being groomed as the next guy, same with Spencer Kaboom. They got two young guys that they kind of like, and Jose Lobatone, who's not young, he's 32, but who they are perfectly comfortable with as a C2. So if they could get something for Norris, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved him before even before he even suits back up for them because they just traded for him in December and they could turn around, flip him immediately, and just put Lobatone back into the uh, into the C2 role. So I, I hear you there. What about Weeders himself then? Because 
this was the guy, remember, when he was supposed to cure cancer with his at-bats. That was supposed mm-hmm. to be how it was going to go. Matt Weider's facts was a really funny thing. If you remember the Chuck Norris facts or most interesting man in the world, it was that sort of stuff for Matt Weider's. The hype was real. And uh, it hasn't really come to fruition. He's been, you know, perfectly adequate catcher for 3,500-ish plate appearance, 3,468. But, you know, you add it all up and it's a 98 OPS plus. It's 739. It's, you know, some all-star seasons here and there. Uh, and then his best start of a season was derailed by injury. I believe that was the year he got the Tommy John in 2014 when he had 26 games. He may be looking like, here, could this be finally the breakout? 839 OPS. Boom, he's done after 26 games. So maybe it was just his best part of the season. But Weeders has been a disappointment compared to expectations without a doubt. What 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 is he to you now at age 31 or going into his age 31 season? Um, in that group of potentially okay last tier 15 teamers uh 15 team catchers um solid c1 in an nl only two catcher league just boring it's it's kind of weird that it's come to this but i don't i don't think that at his age with his injury past his production history i don't see the things that i want to see you know, in terms of uh, a, a power breakout or anything. And the only thing I'd say is that the last time he had a ground ball fly ball rate like he did last year, um, you know, he had one below one in 2013, 2014. 2014, uh, he was injured, so it's hard to say much about that. But in 2013, he hit 22 homers. But he also played 579 plate appearances, was young, was on an AL team where they could play him at DH. You know, there was a lot of things going on that year. I doubt that he's going to get to 579 plate appearances. So mm-hmm. even if he does have an ISO like he did that year, which is like a 180, 190, um, I don't think that he's going to have the playing time to turn that into uh, good power numbers. So I think what you're hoping for is slightly better runs in RBI than some of the people around him because he'll be playing in a decent lineup. That makes That's sense. Yeah. With. Okay. I, I, I can totally understand all of that with regards uh, to Matt Wieters and, and the catcher situation in Washington. Stay tuned to see if they do move Norris, but if not, he, he's going to be the backup guy. And the only thing I would, I might still take him as, as a $1 in, in a two catcher league just because he's on a good team. And if something happened to Wieters and he got that playing time, it, it could pay off. And I, I don't, I personally don't think that Norris is completely done, but like you said, when you hit that low of a level, your leash gets really shortened. He was so bad last year and it was tough. Uh, you know, I was, I'm still debating here. Maybe I guess we'll just decide this live. Do we do an entire episode for Jared Weaver to San Diego or do we do 45 minutes on it right now? What's that? Uh, Jared Weaver to San Diego. Do we do an entire episode? Or do you think do we like can, a three hour show? Or I, that's what I, I was thinking I mean, that, but do you think we could do just 45 minutes right now to, to cover it or? I oh, mean, that'd be, that'd be, that'd be fun. You know, we joke, but there's actually something really fascinating about him. I'd love, to which is it. how can a pitcher that bad still be uh, in baseball, still be in baseball. And also he almost breaks systems. I mean, DRA is a great, uh, a great number, but a great pitching estimator number from baseball perspectives that, takes into account all sorts of little things. And it uh, uh, it takes into account, like, 
you know, the umpire, the park, the catcher, the framing, all that stuff. And it tries to really assign blame and value to each pitcher based on, on, you know, the situations at hand. And they had uh, Weaver last year as a minus seven win pitcher. So he really was not only like the worst pitcher, but like the worst pitcher of all time. And so it's so bad that it makes you consider what if you know how it makes you wonder about dra it makes you like honestly it makes you wonder about dra because there's no way to test dra because dra all these estimators are on this fictional runs idea right it runs they're not runs as in runs on the field they're runs that we've come up with sort of base runs runs expected runs runs you know what i mean they're Mm -hmm. runs as a figure that we that we put uh, that we put together to judge baseball players the runs the batting runs the defensive runs that go into war that kind of runs you know that so it's a fictional construct so if we're trying to uh, judge FIP or S you know SIERA or Sierra or whatever we're trying to judge these different ones uh, we're we have to use the sniff test kind of you know what I mean because yeah, because we don't have an out of sample thing to judge it against. It's not, we can't say like, Oh, well, you know, no one gave up that many actual runs. So it can't be true because it's not actual runs that we're dealing in. We're dealing in these sort of theoretical runs. So when you look at a a thing like minus seven wins, that's a little different than saying, Oh, I don't believe that Michael Brantley was a six run, a a six win player one year. Right. Mm -hmm. That that's, uh, that's still within the realm of possibility. A six win player exists. You're just saying, that you don't believe in the six wins that um, th- that you don't believe that Michael Brantley's defense is worth that much or something, right? That's a that's a different thing. Absolutely. When you have a guy who's a minus seven win pitcher, there's just never been a, a number like that. We've never had a result like that. And if you had a pitcher that was a truly true talent minus seven win pitcher, then they probably wouldn't play because. They'd be costing the Angels seven wins against a replacement level player. They would have gotten him out of there. So um, it's hard to. Uh, I think there's a lot going on with Weaver. I don't. I don't think anybody on this podcast would uh, peg him as a sleeper, even with the San Diego boost. And you know, for what people are saying, oh, is he blocking young guys? I don't think there's actually a lot of young guys in San Diego that are ready to pitch right now. And even if they are. They they can manage their innings in the minor leagues for a little bit and then cut Weaver. You know I don't think uh, at this salary would he get uh, you know three million or something. I don't. Know. I don't this think is that longer than I expected to talk about it. But you actually had something <laughs> worth discussing. So let me look at uh, how much. Sorry, this is how yeah, we three million. Like two hours time, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but hey, I love it. You know, I'm yeah. I'm I'm the I'm the baseball nerd who who finds every bit of it interesting, even when I make a joke about talking about it. And then you're like, actually, I've got a little something about that. So uh, no, that's they have a four five ERA. So and had the best season ever put together by a guy with an 83 mile an hour fastball. How about that? Like that that's the thing. You know, a lot of times something in fantasy that we kind of forget is is the value of of being able to eat up some innings, right? Because every team has to account for like at least 1,458 innings, I think is, is the number. Yeah. 1,458 at a minimum they have to account for. And so if you've got a guy who can do, you know, 185 of that as, as he regularly does, that's, you know, 12, 13% uh, with Jared Weaver, that has some value, but not 
when it's as bad as last year's was, right? And and the strikeout rate now back to back thirteen percent seasons, and the velocity you know continuing to go down to just comical levels. Like we're at some point, I think we're beyond the point of where I just give the innings to somebody else. Anybody? I think else. we're also like one update away from Jared Weaver has picked up a knuckleball. Th- th- that would be great. I would I would love that. <laughs> I would. Love that. Let's make that happen. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on. That was uh, that was your Jared Weaver breakdown, and it could be the last time we mentioned Jared Weaver on the show <laughs> in 2017. Uh, today we're talking White Sox, though. We're going to break down the, the White Sox for our team-by-team breakdowns. Hopefully you were able to listen to Monday's episode when I did a deep dive with Derek Van Riper on the Brewers. That is now available for those of you that might have missed it. But uh, today it's White Sox. Interesting team. Uh, not the – not – at the same level of the Brewers. The, both teams are, are lower end in terms of their potential this year for wins, but I think the Brewers were a much more interesting fantasy team. This White Sox team, after you know their trades, of course, of Eaton and Sale, uh, unsurprisingly, they're not quite as appealing. Now, the guys they got in return could have some appeal this year, but they're not even the highest end guys that they have. So let's talk about some of their guys, and I think two guys that are going to get attention, uh, one on each side of, of the ball, so to speak, Tim Anderson and Carlos Rodon. Who do you think is the better breakout pick there? Tim Anderson up the middle or Carlos Rodon on the mound? Well, you know, normally I'd go towards the position player, but Anderson has an interesting skill set in that he might he doesn't really have a great bat. And he, he overachieved a little bit in terms of power last year. And I think that's being so, addressed. Like there's some real big Tim Anderson love out there, and I don't know, I just I'm not sure he's, he's, you know, I'm not sure you, you need to be extrapolating those nine homers. I, I, I kind of feel like I would put the nine homers as a full season projection and then focus yeah. on the speed and batting average potential. Right. And, uh, you know, he's the reason he's in there is because he's good enough defensively that uh, he can put up two wins with a subpar bat. He can still be uh, a league average player with a subpar bat, almost like a Simmons type. And I know that he stole 49 bases in 2015, but last year he stole 21 bases, and that's counting the minor leagues. Yeah, so it was bad. So his projections, you know, sitting around. And there's guys who – there are guys who stole 80 in the minors who stole like 10 in the majors. I mean, there I, – I, I wish I had the name off the top of my head, but I remember looking – is a guy who I always recall as somebody who was an amazing base stealer in the minors and never brought it to the majors. Yeah. I don't know if he reached 80. I mean, Delano DeShields had like 100, right? Yeah. And there are even guys who say, well, I was an A-ball, so I was bored, so I just tried to steal the I've literally had someone it, tell me Exactly. That. It, it's not out of the realm for they're just like, yeah, I was just messing with guys, basically. <laughs> but you get to the majors or even up to the upper minors, and it, it's... Everyone's better. Exactly. And then, then all of a sudden you get chewed out if you get, if you get caught, you know, with two outs or... You know, some big deal. So, you know, I I would say a projection that's like 10 homers, 20 stolen bases, and a 260 average, uh, he may oscillate around that. Yeah, but that's not and he may find, not hard he to may find, find something. Even the 20 right, SB. But he may, he may long-term, you know, still adjust and find a way to make more contact. But I think that he's in the sort of Andleton Simmons part of the world and i'd rather much rather have uh, carlos rodon I, there's a lot of reasons to like carlos rodon 
and one of them just came to me recently. Get on your you know, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, and you, and you do it in such style. You know, when you do when you're riding a Segway, you just you're not using any body part. <laughs> you're just like, you. It's almost like thinking you want to go in a your direction. Your Segways are so smooth. You don't even wear a helmet. You know. <laughs> so Carlos Rodon, so you, you you hear me talk on this all the time about, you know, this guy has above average movement, above average velocity, whatever. And for some reason, I've never put that into a number. And I did recently, and I did it for, I did it for this reason. I wanted to look at the unluckiest and luckiest changeups by results. So what I did was, and by movement. So what I did was I found, you know, I did the best pitches by movement and velocity, and then I compared that to the, the number that I have. It's almost like the Arsenal score number where I use whiffs and grounders and all that. So I, I found the unluckiest pitch. It was Daniel Magnan's a change up. Um, I think it may have something to do with where he puts it because he really likes to throw the change up inside the lefties. I don't know why he does that, but that's something he does. Uh, maybe he'll figure something out about that later. But in any case, a, a, a byproduct of that was I did Z scores for movement and I did it based off the fastball. So I defined your fade off of the fastball. I defined the drop off the fastball. I defined the velocity gap off the fastball. I did Z scores for all of those and I added them all up. And the best changeup in baseball by movement of velocity is Scott Cat Scott Casimir. Oh wow! Although I like what I did there. Scat, Scat Cosmere. I like that. Scat Casimir. That's a different kind of spoonerism. And second is Broad Baxberger. That's a really good one. Baxberger. Yeah, and Tiny Sop. Who? Tiny Sop was third. Who? T Tiny Sop. Trying to think. Who the hell is that? Lord, I'm doing this like weird spoon. I know. Right? Who? Tell me. <laughs> I can't get it. Oh! <laughs> Tiny Sop. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, Tiny Sop is a lit I, player in MLB The Show, too. This one's going to be hard. His stuff is devastating. Jarrell Cat. Uh, yeah, we know we know that one. That, that That's <laughs> almost the same the same, uh, the same same name there, who, who we also love. Yeah, I was wondering where he – I was going to ask about him because his changeup, you know, I don't want to get too graphic here, but his changeup belongs on a different kind of website. Uh, that maybe has NSFW uh, attached to it. Like, Jarrell Cotton's changeup is so sexy. It's ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk Rodon. Let me just, uh, I'll, I'll just say Rodon's changeup was 12th on okay. this list. And if you take out the relievers, you get Casimir, Cotton, Fulmer, Rodon. Ooh, so he goes to four when you pull out the, the tiny sop and, and his yeah. cohorts. Also, I wanted to just point out. I was, I was figuring that you also wanted right. to point that out. Right. Guy, I talked about having a really great changeup that people didn't really. Uh, we we both thought about this how he really found something with that changeup. So, uh, <clears throat> anyway, Rodon has a really good changeup. He started trusting it late in the season. It was part of his breakout, and I think that he's got more coming in terms of results. The swing strike rate on it was 12%, and the ground ball rate was 31%. Those are subpar numbers. They're good enough for him to throw. It's not, you know, um, Zach Eflin, the guy for the Phillies. Phillies. Yeah. He, he got as a 1% whiff rate on his changeup. So uh, that's bad. Okay. So 12% is like, a, I would say, like a 40-grade okay. pitch. 
You know, it's a pitch that you – it's not so bad that you would never throw it. Maybe 50, 45, something like that. It's a pitch you'll throw. It's a show me. And maybe it's a little bit more than a show me. It's your third pitch. You know, it's your third or fourth pitch. So that that's really important because otherwise he'd be Robbie Ray. And, you know, like I said, I put Rodon ahead of Ray because Rodon actually has that changeup, has been throwing it, has made strides with the walk rate. And if this changeup is legit, you could see that home run rate uh, drop below one, even in the cell. You could see that strikeout rate go above mm-hmm. 10, even as a yep. starter. It's it, you know, it seems a little bit pushing it, but we were you know, talking high end here for, for Rodon. And, and we're talking like the same, you know, situation that created sale. We're also talking about a guy who had double digit strikeout rates in yep. the minor leagues. So, you know, if you push his projection there, just, you know, to just a 10 strikeouts for nine and then, and then cut his walk rate to about three, then you're going to get really close to the fan projections and, you know, fan projections are rosy. But I'm saying if the changeup is legit and he's really throwing it and he gets more close to a 50% ground ball rate, that the fans are going to be wrong on the home run rate. And so if you cut that home run rate, you're talking about a 3-4 ERA, 3-5 ERA with a 1-2 whip, you know, and, and over nine strikeout, over a strikeout per I think inning. he comes in 190 that, innings this year, too. I think he's going to – I think the yeah, innings I mean, are going he's ready. I think he's ready. He, he, did, he did 140. Yeah, he actually did like 150, 165. He's ready at least for 180. So if you got 180 innings, 180 strikeouts, a 3.5 ERA, a 1-2 WHIP, these are not crazy nope. numbers to, to to project for him. And um, they aren't. They, they aren't. You want to buy the projections, but you want to keep in mind that you could get this. It's a little bit lower tier ace, but now in this game because there are still guys. It's weird. The home runs have done this thing where. You know, some guys still have the 270 ERA, yeah. but uh, <clears throat> everybody else is living in this steroid. It's era. crazy <laughs> what the home runs have done to ERAs. It's it, it's the biggest single change that we've seen that took us from this this boon of aces to a, a whole bunch of guys with question marks. Where a lot of times the 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 key is, well, if he can tame that home run rate, well, if he can tame that, you know, Danny Duffy, if he can tame that home run rate, can Zach Greinke keep the ball in the yard again? You know, th- those sorts of things. And Rodon is is a lower level than those guys, but not too much, especially with his upside. And if he does keep the ball in the park, say the way he did just the year before in 2015 when he had a .7 homer per nine, did Rodon? Um, compared with the with the improvements that we're starting to see him make, I agree with you. We start talking low to mid threes as opposed to mid to high threes. So I really like the upside. He's one of my AL leap year candidates. I actually, uh, when I wrote the piece, I ranked him ahead of Paxton, and I and I actually still feel that way. As much as I love Paxton, this is my favorite breakout lefty this year. Uh, Rodon is because his stuff. I mean, and he hasn't he hasn't shown the health concerns of a Paxton. That's why I feel like 190 innings are coming. And if he starts creeping on that 10K9 mark that you're talking about, then he's going to have a 200K season like we saw from Robbie Ray, but with better stuff around it. So I agree with you. Rodon is definitely the pick between Anderson and Rodon for a breakout. And we seem to really like Rodon this year as that changeup emerges. And if he gets that fastball, if if, if that gets improvement, because that's, I mean, that's what does everything, uh, fastball command. He's got the velocity. If he starts to command it, I mean, a special season is possible. I'm not projecting it yet because I, I think it's going to be more of the stair-step gradual uh, progression for Rodon. But he can skip a step or two 
if the fastball command jumps, you know. So I don't know what he was working on in the offseason, but I hope and imagine that fastball command was a big part of it. Yeah, with he's already made one leap with the fastball command when he moved on the mm-hmm. rubber. That was that was big because it just changed his heat map a little bit. You know, having the change up, I think, you know, will will help the home runs in terms of, of righties hitting home runs off of him. He now has another way to get them out. And then, um, you know, the, yeah, that next the next leap would be just having enough command, uh, maybe even slider command, because oh. if he can throw that slider for strikes, then he can use that to get, you know, he's in a one zero count. They're thinking fastball. He throws the slider. They don't swing. If he can get that to to cross the plate as a strike, he's he's back to one one, right? Agree. And if he's if he's back in the count, he can throw another slider. Or he can throw the change. So you know, I think uh, command of some sort. It could be it could even be breaking ball command. That's the next step. But you know, something that's appealing to me that just this sort of crystallized the way we were talking about this. You know, one of the reasons we talked about in my pitching ranks and or in the pitching ranks in general that you know the top thirty seem like like good you know happy you're happy to draft them kind of guys and then everybody else is is you know just varying degrees of i hope um you know i think that is a function of of this home run thing because offense is not up in the league offense as you know in terms of run scoring is not really the craziest part of the home run it's strikeouts and home runs and strikeouts and home runs are so weird because we believe so much in strikeout rate. Strikeout rate year to year is good stickiness. We, we, we're always trying to project it. We're always thinking about strikeout rate. Strikeout rate is our homeboy. Home run rate, we're like, dude, leave. You know, like, we don't care about you. Leave. Just, like, you never bring be- good beer. You just, you, you always. That one time that it does, rules of poker. it drank, drank its you know, own beer. That one time it brought the good beer, home run rate, drank all yeah. of it and left like one. I know. And you, you pee on the lid. I mean, it's just like home run rate out of my life. Stop coming to and the party, home run rate. It's just like every, every, it's always, it's not sticky year to year. We, we don't know how much uh, pitchers have control over it. We think it's a, a load of noise. And yet we're stuck to thinking about it now. And the only thing we can do is think about, you know, oh, okay, a guy like Marcus Stroman, he has one of the slowest launch angles in baseball. It's almost like a mi- – I think he has like a minus three average launch angle. That just means people are beating into yeah. the ball, the ball into the ground. So, so, you know, hey, there's a guy. He might be safe when it comes to home runs. Okay, good. Um, but – Everybody else. <laughs> there, there's a few outliers, you know, like you said, those guys yeah. who really keep the ball down, who who can who can have some success with it. One of the reasons, but one of the reasons I put Giselman in was like I think maybe he can he can do it, but um, you know, everybody else, Samarja, even in the good parks, you know, uh, Tyon, if he doesn't, if this, he is developing a new changeup grip. It was funny we talked about. Wasn't it. that great, by the he way? Is developing. Uh, it happened right after we talked about it, um, and it's a, it's a total obvious one. He used to have so he throw he threw a four seam in the minors. He got to the majors. They took they allowed him to throw a two seam, and he's got an amazing sinker now. The problem was that he was focusing on throwing the two seam changeup, the two seam fastball. So he's still throwing the four seam changeup that you normally pair the four seam changeup with a four seamer. Mm-hmm. He didn't really want to change changeup grips in the middle of season. Understandably, trying to there, get through your first. It makes sense season. because his movement is so boring on that on that thing. So now if he goes to two seam changeup, he gets gets movement on that. 
he can actually pair that with the four seam to do a movement difference, or he can pair it with the two seam to get them thinking it's the two seam. So anyway, there's there's some uh, good news out of that. But in general, um, I I think I'm going to go with a high risk strategy this year, with especially pitching, in talking. a league. Yeah, with pitching because I think, especially in a year, I might want to get one guy up front. But but are you talking up front, up front, like um, Kershaw through Kluber? Or are you talking up front where it's like Arietta no, Darvish? It, I think you do want that because even all these sleepers we're talking about, Rodon, for example, like I like him to be my number two in a high risk strategy because I don't think he'll cost, you know, like I don't think he'll cost as much as a regular number two. A number two in the mixed leagues for me is like Danny Salazar, yep. right? And Rodon's going to cost, cost that less much. Than Salazar, You're right. Right. Um, so, you know, in in this strategy, what I'm saying is screw the number twos. They have as much risk as anybody. And I'm going to do a one like a one and a bunch of fours. And, and because then just... you still need the one because you still need the guy who might hit a 270 ERA. And there's very rare, I think, you know, with 200 innings, by... too. Right. You want yeah. those. So innings. you're going to go by Rodone. We just pushed the Rodone protection as hard as we could. And we got to three five. Yep. Right? Yep. You can push the John Gray projection as hard as you can. You're not getting to two seven. Not a chance. But, but if you buy you Darvish, you can maybe push that to two seven. If you buy Chris Sale, you can push that to two seven. So I like this idea of buying some ones, even an AL only or whatever. Buy, buy a one, maybe buy two ones if it's a ten teamer, and then just peace out and buy some fours. Are you going to buy and fives? Are bad too because fives are almost like the dollar catcher. You know, we're now a five is Mike Montgomery and Yvonne Nova, yet. Yeah, you know, are you, are, and Tyler Anderson. But if you if you buy a bunch of fours, all of a sudden you're in my uh, rankings, you're buying Jarrell Cotton, Dylan Bundy, you know, Lance Lynn, Gerard Eikhoff, Walker Sean for me. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Taiwan Walker, Drew Pomeranz, Sonny Gray. I'm in that, that, that same range there. Those are fours, right? What's that? Fours, yeah, not, exactly. I, I'm, I'm saying that that four yeah. range yeah. is thick. Question: When you're doing that, if you go get your ace, and then you're waiting now because Rodon is like pick 200. He's 197. That's a that's awesome. By the way, I love that price. McCullers, another guy, will pick 180. Are you buying a stud closer in the interim, or are you just crushing offense? I think my 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 theory with closers has always been to get the last guy on a tier. So I do want. A number one closer, but if you look at, have you done closers yet? Uh, no, we're we're releasing those with the bullpen report tomorrow. But I have the rankings up if you want to get an idea of, or, or the the draft position up if if you want to give names, I can tell you kind of where you they're a, going. You did a January edition? No, we didn't. That that would be last year's. That's last year's. Okay. Well, anyway, just using this to 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 get it. Uh, I think there's a lot of stud closers. I Jansen, Kimbrell, Chapman, Britton. I've done four. Um, Familia, maybe. Well, well Familia's going to have the suspension, so he, he's going to get something. I know the charge was dismissed, right. um, but he's going to get that 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 month probably. So I can't put him there because of that. But Allen, I, Cody Allen, Ken Giles, I think Calvin. No, I don't Herrera think I put done. Giles all the way up. I'm talking about like I don't I don't see risk, and they're they're great. So Jansen, Kimbrel, Chapman, Osuna. Britton, um, Allen. Oh. Yeah, that's there's a little bit of a dividing line. Maybe O's there. Anyway, if there's five, O and Familia is six and seven. If I leave O and Familia as backup plans, right, mm-hmm. and I get 
Britain. I don't know, Kimbrel. Maybe Kimbrel. Kimbrel's last. Kimbrel is coming weird. out of value because folks are scared. Are you, are you not yeah. scared? Are you, are you feeling comfortable that he's Why? still going to be a superstar closer? What are we scared about? Injury? Um, yeah, I think people were scared by the spike in in walks, uh, portending you know kind of the beginning of the end after you know seven seasons, know. eight seasons, twenty eight, and still through ninety seven plus. I think still struck out thirty eight percent with a fifteen percent swinging strike rate. I I I I understand what you're, what you're saying. I'm Hardly. just letting you know that that's why the discounts there relative to where he used to go. Well, I'm willing to take that. Is what I'm saying. Is like. If I have Kimber, if I if Kimbrel O and Familiar are on the table, I'll keep I'll keep drafting other things. Yep. You know, and then I'll jump in and get Kimbrel, and then the next the next one is you know maybe it starts with O Familiar Giles. These are still pretty good names. Herrera, right? o, I love Familiar. Herrera, man. I, I, I Giles Herrera Edwin Diaz. Diaz, I might even put him in the first tier. Wade Davis, if, he, right? if he's healthy. I know Wade Davis has the forearm risk because he, he was nicked up last year. But again, that's built into the price. He's going as the ninth closer off the board, pick 88. You're getting that risk Ooh. built in. So I'm still willing to take him Davis? too. Yeah, Wade Davis. Wade Davis. And who's who's right before him? Who's eighth closer? Edwin. Off the board? Edwin Diaz. Oh, my God. If I leave, if I leave the draft with Kimbrell, Diaz, and two schmoes, <laughs> I'll do that All day. in a second. I, I oh agree with God. you. Closer in the meantime, in the meantime, I have Thor, you know, and I have a sweet offense. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once I get, once I have those two closers, I have Thor, and I have like eight or nine hitters. Boom, back in the pitching. Rodon, and I might even, might even take four in a row. Uh, absolutely, might go Rodon. You know, Cotton. You know, Icon. I might just. Yeah, just just blow up those fours, and then and, and then and my bench will be eighty percent starting pitchers to cover. Exactly, you're going the volume play because they're, they're, yeah. these guys do have their warts, and if the wart doesn't clear up or or, or improve, you, you go on to the next one. I, I like I like this game plan you're, you're mapping out here as a general theory. I'm kind of interested to see how it might play out in AL labor specifically because that's a uh, obviously a different a, a different bird with a single league but i think you can still do it you know if you get kluber to be your ace and then you wait and and again we come back to rodon obviously that's who we're focusing on right here and you start looking at odorizzi or mccullers or or what, any of the oakland guys i like gray cotton and Manaya. i'm i'm in on all three uh, for for different reasons, of course. I don't know how you feel about Blake Snell. I'm in on uh, Dylan Bundy was a name that you mentioned. So yeah. I, I think it's a very interesting strategy. We got to continue here with the White Sox, but I think you're onto something. And the bottom line here, the takeaway: we love Carlos Rodon. Uh, let's move on. Who plays center field for this team? Charlie Tilson is uh, is penciled in right now. Roster resource. He already has a stress fracture. And there's this one other thing. Hang on. What is it? What is it? Oh yeah, he's Charlie Tilson. So also there's also pulled that. his. Pulled his hamstring off his bone last year. Oh, cool, cool. That's what that's yeah. what you want to do. That's that's a fun thing. Um, also, he went from stealing forty six to stealing fifteen last year in half a season. To your point, you know, about could how totally it is. be more like a ten to twenty guy yep. it, uh, with no on base skills. So we're talking about a guy who's gonna need to be sort of Billy Hamilton esque, I think, in order to be league average. And he's not gonna do that. Uh, I don't think so. I think I mean he's like a was he rule five like a uh, like a waiver? No, it, was, it was like a, a secondary piece in a trade. He was traded from St. from oh, St. Louis. Okay. So we're we're not super interested in Charlie Tilson 
But they're going to be a bad team, so they're going to put him out there they, and see if he can be more than people think. If they put him batting first, that changes everything because anybody batting first for a substantial amount of time just is going to have a, a modicum of value. But oh, it was for Zach Duke. It wasn't the secondary piece. It was just the Zach Duke for Charlie Tilson. But they have another guy who's kind of already been through what maybe Charlie Tilson will go through, uh, Peter Burgos, who's been the guy who had some hype uh, you know, multiple times, even showed some things. Uh, Burgos did a couple years ago with the Angels. Always been a great defender. Could he take the job and, and run with it a bit? Yeah, and we have Reimer Liriano. I was going to mention him uh, next. Now, is he center? Can he? I just don't think he's a center. Yeah, I was going to say, can he hack center? No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, he was already sort of bad body in the corner. Exactly. So. And then Peter Borges. I don't know. I, I think yeah, you're talking about injury. I think it's going to be Tilson. I just think it's going to be almost like it could be one, like almost legendarily bad. Like it could almost be 600 plate appearances of point one. You know, wins over replacement. Sweet. So he'll be like the poster boy for Charlie replacement Tilson. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean to be rude. I mean, no. it's better than I do. And, is it? You know, Are you sh- no, but I just, But I, I, I traded Charlie Tilson for Seth Lugo in a tw- in my in the league that we used to have together. Twenty team. I like that. Uh, Twenty eight keeper, forty uh, five man roster dynasty keep league, and then I didn't even keep Lugo. <laughs> but you were. I would have. I would. You just didn't care about Tilson. Uh, I didn't care about Tilson at all, and so I, I traded him. And I thought and Lugo almost made the cut. It was Lugo versus like Soroka or Woodruff, um, who are two interesting young prospects. One with the Braves, and one with the, the Brewers. And my team uh, needs upside, mm-hmm. so I, I feel like Lugo can be a capable player. And a lot of in a lot of years, I would have uh, kept him. But you know, I ended up getting Lugo type players in the draft and wanted to keep you know, high upside prospects um, in terms of before the draft. Understandable, understandable. So center field, not something that you're attacking, maybe except AL only, and if Tilson gets the job, he could just be a volume guy that you plug in as your fifth outfield. Yeah, the options are bad, so, you know, like volume, yeah, volume, like you said. uh, In AL only, that can be useful. I would, I will bid him up to uh, $2, $3 even, because I think he's better than a $1 player. a $1 player is Reimer Liriano. Yeah, because of playing where... time and, and the fact that he's the lefty of the group, too, even if it's Burgos and, and Tilson, the, the volume alone, I think, can. You know, we, 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 we crapped on him a bit here, but, like, if you're batting leadoff for a team, like I said, for an extended period of time, you're worth a few bucks, particularly in AL. Let's get to the better guys because they do still have some solid guys. Who, who's a better rebound pick for you? Oh, this is damning with fake praise. I know, I know. <laughs> Not a lot of great things to say. Hey, but they're they building. some guys that are better than Charlie Tilson. They're building, though. They they, tur- they turn yeah. their uh, farm system oh, I like what they from did. bottom like what five did, yeah. to top five in the blink of an eye. Uh, but who's the better rebound pick, Jose Abreu or Todd Frazier? Todd Frazier. Okay. I, I think he'll smooth out some of the, the crazy nutso infield fly ball rate he had last year. He was just missing a lot I know of pitches. Yeah, and he ha- he's had that problem for two years running, mm-hmm. and he's always going to have that problem to some extent, but he's also had years where it was a lot better. So I, I think that, um, yeah, it's a little sticky year to year, 
but uh, still went 40, 98, 15. And by the way, don't sleep on the speed from from Frazier that he chips in 20, 13, and 15 the last three years. So I know the batting average was, was a nightmare last year, but he really offset it with the speed. And in previous years, when he hit 255 and 273 batting averages that you could tolerate, and he was giving you the power and speed. He's this really solid player. I think he's kind of off the map right now. I mean, he's getting drafted 74th, so you know, not completely off the map. But there's no love. It's always like a begrudging, I'll take Todd Frazier. And I think if you're suggesting that there is going to be some batting average rebound here, which I imagine uh, that would be kind of the benefit of, of cutting those infield pop-ups, and he can even, like I said, just get back to 255. I'm not even asking to go all the way back up to 273. If he gets back to 255 yeah. and he goes 40, 115, uh, with 85 plus runs, I'll take that all day at pick 74. Yeah, yeah. And I think he'll, I think so he'll then how do you like feel that. about a Brayu? 250, 35, 10, uh, and probably 180 runs plus homers. Yeah, so something like that. Maybe a little bit less because maybe well, fewer. Well, they sucked last year, though, too, and, and he's still, he's, they did, they did he's still got bad. 98, 89. And a Brayu is, a Brayu has a little bit of the, the problem where it, the league is, has a book on him and he hasn't quite he's still pretty good but i don't think he's going to go back to that old power level unless he starts pulling the ball he's he's kind of um a spray hitter and so they're they're hitting it they're they're throwing it in on his hands okay. a lot i don't know shoot did he show up in this inside by the way here. while you're looking that up oh look I'll, at I'll this mention. look at go this ahead. look at this last year percent of pitches inside uh, these are the leaders. Yasiel Puig, number one. 45% of the pitches he saw wow. were inside. And the inside third, not the inside half, inside third. Second, Jose Breu. Third, Adrian Beltre. Four, hit, hit Jason Hayward because he had those messed up uh, yep. mechanics. Fifth, Ryan Braun. Matt Holliday, David Free. So interesting, that group of players. But Yasiel Puig had a 1.086 OPS on pitches inside. Adrian Beltre had a one OPS on pitches inside. Jose Breu had a .669. And Jason Award had a .38. <laughs> I mean, he's got those long arms and and shoulder issues yeah. and mechanical yeah. issues. Yeah. If you threw anything that wasn't inside, like what were you doing? Yeah. So, but Jose Breu, you know, he's he's gonna struggle with that because he's kind of got that Joey Votto approach a little bit where he. He's got the pitch. He's got the swing that's designed to hit the outside pitch, mm -hmm. and you know he's not. And he can take that the other way, and you know, but he's not a big pull guy. So if you throw him inside, he's not used to getting his hands around real quick and and doing damage on those pull pitches. So um, I think this is a new normal for him. I don't think that he's going to bounce. But you can yeah. live with that with a two ninety three average, like. Uh, 27 it's just it's just a little boring at it place. is but but there is a there is a drop off there to where you, you still might want it before you wait for you know carlos santana um who's gonna might, might have more power but much less batting average albert pujols who's old adrian gonzalez you know so he's kind of that uh actually no, queen what's pick, that huh? Kind of exactly, pick, but like Ramirez a end of a tier. Hanley's going twenty picks later, and I'd actually just wait for Hanley to be honest over Abreu. Um, if they were going closer together, that would be kind of the last uh, last chance saloon. But I actually consider Ramirez the break because yeah, Hanley should have similar batting average, but more power, and the risk is and, all and health. Great so. runs RBIs on that club. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Right, I think yeah. Frazier is the better rebound pick. He'll get 
20, 20 more points of batting average at least um, and could get as much as 30. You know, it's not going to go crazy. He's not going to hit 280, but uh, that power-speed combo at third base is pretty nice. Uh, next up, why is there no love for Melky Cabrera? He's the 63rd outfielder off the board. He was 34th on the player radar last year. He doesn't do anything flashy, uh, but it's just a solid contribution, uh, mostly across the board. He doesn't really run anymore uh, and, and has it now for, for four years, so that's kind of out the window. And the power totals aren't great, but it's it's one of those add it all up, and it's really nice because it's good batting average, solid RBIs, solid runs, and double-digit homers. And yet... Nobody's really interested in the 32-year-old. Is it just because it's bland? But, I mean, I guess that's it, but there's no real risk here. What, what do you think about Melky Cabrera? I think there is some risk. The risk is real world in that his defense has fallen off to the point where you're not sure where he's going to play. Okay. And he's sort of – he's probably playing to leave. You know, he's playing to be okay. traded. Yeah, I was going to say, the best part on this team, though, is there's not a lot of options to take his playing time. But generally speaking, I understand what you're saying with regards to Melky's defense. I mean, he's, yeah. Okay, you're right. I mean, he they'll play him in the outfield because they want to trade exactly. him as an outfielder exactly. and not a DH. But, you know, the new team is not going to, is not going to, like, you know, oh, he's great Yeah, and he's, he's not really going to be a... <laughs> the new team will... People say, okay, we'll pay outfielder prices, but he's going to be our DH. And he's, and, you know, if what's it, who's who's going to go get him? It's going to be like the Blue Jays because they they have a iffy outfield mm-hmm. squad. It could, um, I mean, you know, it has to be a contender. The the Indians, the Blue Jays, maybe some surprise wild card contender like the Royals, the Tigers, or the if Tigers. They, they are surprise yeah, wild card. I'm not I'm not saying that the Tigers are going to be great. I'm just right. saying. That's kind of their fate. Mariners go get a bad defense hitter to to pat, to to post up with their good defense. Yeah, let him play you know? the first few innings, oh. get three plate appearances, and then bring in one of those stud like defenders. But I, then all of a sudden he is a playing time risk, and then you you have him penciled for six hundred plate appearances because he's done that for three straight years. But what if it's more like four hundred and okay. then fifty? No, that or you know four hundred and then another seventy five, or you know whatever it is. So. There's some risk there, and the upside is so little. I mean, 10 to 14 homers in today's game with a decent batting average. He's an AL. I think he's just boring. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And if he doesn't get the playing time, that certainly cuts into his value. A lot of what Melky Cabrera does is go out there and play every day. And, and as we've talked about before, those guys are the rock-solid guy until they're not, right? Hunter Pence is, was the rock-solid yeah. play-all-the-time guy until it's he was. It's hard to see that kind of risk, right? You're like, oh, no, no, they got to use him. And then the White Sox are like, no, man, nobody wants you. You know, you're nobody wants to trade for you. And we're just going to give Romer Liriano all your exactly. And he and he starts getting, you know, it gets starts getting relegated. So I, I get the Garcia or the corners in, in in Chicago. What is happening? But it's not great. Uh, you know. I, I get the I get the playing time risk there. But hey, the thing of it is you don't have to pay much. So he is still worth, I think. Just taking as your fifth outfielder to get kind of glue uh, at bats. Just like the, the deeper your league, the more yep, he's attractive. Yep, that's that's sure. completely fair. Um, speaking of Avisel Garcia, is there any mm. any untapped potential left with Avisel Garcia or Brett Laurie? And if so, who? Um, and when you say no, uh, why not? I mean, if you <laughs> say no, I have no idea what you're going to say. 
I'm just guessing you're going to say. Well, that. I have a sales 25. The thing that, that sucks for me is that I, I saw a little bit of hope last year because for four, three straight years, he'd cut his ground mm -hmm. ball fly ball rate. So he's kind of putting some loft into the ball. And that's one of the things that's so upsetting with him is that he hits the ball decently hard, but he, he can't put it in the air. And if he's not going to put it in the air, he doesn't have any patience and he strikes out too much. So, and he doesn't add on the base pass and he doesn't add defensively. So that's where you get a guy who's been below replacement his whole career. But, you know, I've gotten, I've actually talked to players this off season that were in similar situations that were, you know, talking to me about what they should do to improve and, you know, I think when you get in this situation, you sort of, there's a fire under your butt and you start reaching around and thinking about all the different ways you can change your game and, and do your best. And the easiest one right now is change your launch angle. Everybody in yep. baseball is talking about it. Uh, I've talked, to, I've literally talked to players this off season about how they're trying to change their launch angle. So um, if he came to camp and was hitting fly balls, you could have like a 20 to 25 homer hitter guy, I think. Okay. You know? I mean, that's not I, as valuable as it was like, you know, just, just uh, two years ago, of course, with the, with the homer surge. But so there, there's a little, you got a little love for Abbasale. Let's, let's relate it back to something. They're probably going to give What's him that? all the time. They're probably going to give him all the time. Yeah, because well, yeah, he's 26 and we just mentioned they don't have other options. So they have no reason not to give him another 600 uh, like they did in 2015 and say, hey, this is kind of your last big chance here. What can you do? Uh, let's relate it back to something we talked about earlier. Would you take him in, in AL labor for, I, th I think he's probably a buck guy. Would, would, would you do the $1? Well, maybe a buck. I was thinking reserve. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe reserve. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This is the would you rather. Here's the would you rather for me. It's a name just occurred to me. Clint Frazier. Do you take the super upside of somebody who's obviously not in the majors yet uh, who could jump up? Or the, the the bland guy who we're maybe hoping to squeeze a, a, an inch of potential out of. I think almost everybody will take Clint Frazier. I think However, right. I just want to point out, uh, Brett Gardner, Jacob Lee Ellsbury, Aaron Judge, Hicks, Aaron yeah. Hicks, Tyler yeah, Austin, who got hurt, Mason Williams, Rob Refsnyder. I mean, yeah, question mark. Matt Holliday. Uh, DH. Yeah, but he no, I know. Play, you, you, you know. Your point is that the outfield is hardly uh, rife with certainty, and this is a high-impact prospect. So more who could... players. Avisel is actually going to play. Yep. No, exactly. I think the play. I think the play is actually try to get both. You buy Clint Frazier for a dollar and try to get Avisel Garcia in the reserve rounds. You put Clint Frazier on your bench as a prospect. And you pull up uh, Abisal Garcia to be your boring. That's uh, that's player. the play. Maybe maybe okay. pay two for Frazier. Don't erase your minds. Uh, if you you're in AL labor, you didn't hear that. You're dreaming. Glenn Colton, you didn't you hear did that. Not hear any of that. Glenn Colton, you are. When you wake up, you will not you remember any of this. Does not like Clint Frazier. He doesn't even know who he is. <laughs> He's going to put ten dollars on Abisal Garcia. Okay, we can move on. Uh, let's talk some impact prospects because they actually have some. Speaking of impact prospects like Clint Frazier, uh, the White Sox have a couple as well, and, and obviously they just acquired them this year. Yoan Makata, Luis, Lucas Giolito, 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 
uh, Reynaldo Lopez are the three that are likely to have impact this year. And then Michael Kopech was another one they got. And then a few guys that they already had themselves, Zach Collins uh, behind the dish, who could actually come up because they got nothing back there. And then Carson Fulmer, who could be an interesting guy because if uh, David Robertson goes, it's likely to be Nate Jones. But what if they also trade Nate Jones? What if they trade both? Uh, to, to really keep maximizing this rebuild because they're both 31. Well, Dave Robertson, 32, Nate Roberts, uh, Nate Jones, 31, uh, trade both and then just go Carson Fulmer. So they've got impact prospects. I imagine Moncada is your favorite, but talk about the big ones first and then we'll get into those back end ones. What do you think of their prospects on the White Sox? I, I recommended that Ronaldo Lopez drop his arm slot and throw Did a sinker. Listen? Uh, well, just because he his he's got a low spin fastball that got spanked mm-hmm. a little last year. Somebody pointed out that he's six foot tall and that he might lose plane and maybe velocity if he Cause, if cause he does he that. So he might be right, and so he might be kind of uh, between a rock and a hard place on that one. I don't have an answer for him, but I would say that it encapsulates why I'm worried about him pretty well. Is that He's got this sort of low spin fastball that uh, hasn't that's had trouble uh, in the past, and the same is sort of true for Lucas Giolito. However, Lucas Giolito has revamped his mechanics in the past and is planning on revamping them again, and doesn't have the same plane issues. He's a tall guy, so you know, Lucas, Lucas Giolito is uh, more interesting to me, but he's also more interesting to everybody. So I think I'll probably be out okay. on both. What about Moncada then? When, I think that the people will pay too much. When's he going to impact and, and what? It, or when, when's he going to be playing regularly and what impact can he make? Moncada, I think, is another guy that I'll be out on. It's not because I don't think he can do anything. It's that the prospect hounds that believe in him and have him in dynasty leagues and stuff—they're not mm-hmm. giving him up. They see a route to playing time in the cell. They love it. The uh, redraft people that are going to buy him thinking that he's going to play this year are going to even in ale only are going to pay you know i'm thinking about chris list he's going to pay five bucks for one at least right heaven forbid Moncada have a good spring because then that price will will start creeping on 10 oh my god and the guy couldn't hint couldn't make contact 21 plate appearances though i i and really don't want to but but projected to to strike out 30 percent of the time basically um, although Zips is very interesting, Zips has it down to 25.7. And if you get, if you take the Zips strikeout rate of 25.7 plus the Zips walk rate of 10%, and you give him the fans' power of 187 ISO, you've got a, you've got a very 187 yep. on a, you got a, a pretty good, uh, a pretty good player there. You probably got something that's like a 275, 360, 475 type player on the infield with with steals. So. But that's the upside, and that's why people will pay for him. But I just don't feel that comfortable exactly. in a redraft. Where's the incentive uh, to play him, him right off? Like, and then, what's the playing time going to look like? Although I would say one thing. The the Red Sox played him in the major leagues, so I do think that on some level his years have been started. So I don't think that they can – I don't think that they can gain anything by not playing not him at, at all not this at, year. Not, you know what I mean? I think Not at all. I, that's a weird thing I'm trying to say there. It, yeah, it's not going to be nothing. Yeah. I'm just curious, like, uh, does he miss a, the first month in the minors? Does he? Does he? Do, is it two months for Moncada? That's I. I, I don't know that it calculus. Be, 
He's probably waiting either for a Lowry injury okay. or a Frazier trade. And if it's a Frazier trade, he might exactly. be waiting until to, the trade to get deadline. full play time. He could still come up mid-May right. and and spell everybody, you know, kind, kind of bounce around the infield and maybe even into the outfield a little bit and spell guys. But maybe that that click of of actual full time playing time wouldn't happen until the trade deadline. Well, they don't want to bring him up to do that because you want him getting every day at bats. I mean, I, the Red Sox sort of did, but the Red Sox and it was September situation. too. What about? Uh, let's move yeah, on to the yeah. to the next level guys then. First off, quick question, because I, I think the answer is no. We can just move on. But if not, then I'm curious. Michael Kopech even touched the majors this year? What's what's the likelihood of, of that happening? No. I don't really see don't think so. any chance, personally. He... It would have to be – it has to be – like the team would have to uh, be yeah, doing something, winning. which is the funniest part of, of any scenario. I just don't see it with this club. Okay, right. let's move on then. Uh, Zach Collins behind the dish, and then Carson Fulmer, their, uh, one of their recent top picks, uh, who was their one of those two was their top prospect before this influx. With Giovanni Soto and Omar Narvaez, is Zach Collins somebody that you're eyeing? Uh, Colton and Wolfman, turn this down. Don't listen to this. Is is Zach Collins somebody you would eye mm-hmm. for any potential in AL labor? Uh, if you were going for the cheap catcher, or or what what kind of value proposition is there for for him uh, after being drafted last year? Is he, you know, he's a college guy, so he might be a quick mover. How do you feel about Zach Collins? Nah, he's still a catcher. They they'll want him to learn the tricks of the trade. They'll want him to go through the framing, you know, gauntlet that they go through. They'll want him to demonstrate all of the defensive stuff while also, you know, working on his offense. I think uh, it's like Kopech. I think it's, it is interesting that he's good in that Zach Collins and Michael Kopech could be good mm-hmm. in 2018. I think that is interesting because, you know, it could have implications for keeping Jose Quintana because they could decide we're going to keep Jose Quintana and we're going to roll out Quintana, Rodon, Kopech, and one of Gilito the Lopez. You know, one of the other guys, Gilo Lopez, whoever works out, and you know we'll find some back end uh, pitcher on the free agents market, and then that means we have a top five. Then on our offense, we're going to bring out Collins, uh, Moncada, Anderson, Moncada, Anderson, Abreu, um, and and, and Abreu might still be there. Is Abreu still so. there in eighteen? Yeah, so. So they could say, "Hey, this is we're gonna see what this looks like in 18." Um, and in the meantime, they would have traded exactly, for and both uh, at so, least one of the relievers and and Robertson, right? So um, and if they, you know, if Robertson comes back, you know, relievers are pretty mm-hmm. volatile year to year. If Robertson comes back and is really good, or or if they do Robertson Jones pairing, or they just trade Jones instead of Robertson, whatever it is, um, there's a there's a chance. I mean, Gleyber Torres. Oh, it, it, that's the thing. You know? That's probably why they're not so, trading him right now because they're not getting the, the offers that they wanted on Robertson. And they know he's one year removed from 12.2 strikeouts and 1.8 walks with the White Sox. He had a tough year last year for, for his level because his walk rate really spiked up and he had a few uh, major blowups. But his, his strikeout rate was still 10.8. Uh, you know, he still missed bats. I, I, I could easily see a rebound pumping up his value and then they turn around and flip him for something impact another impact uh prospect so i i agree with you on that and 
quick thing on on Quintana since we didn't really talk about him too much. It's not to shade him, but are, are, you, are you skipping him in those SP2s that you're talking about just because you want to play in that in the SP4 pool, but you still acknowledge that he's a, a, a solid 200-inning asset? Like, How do you feel about him even though you're probably skipping him more often than not? He's a very difficult guy for me to analyze. I think I've tried in the past, and I don't know what people have thought of my analysis on him because he's command first one of the hardest things to mm-hmm. we don't really have metrics for command he's command first and his changeup is bad his third pitch is the changeup is bad however he still throws it eight to ten percent of the time so he's still you know he's still going out there using it and his his second pitch is a curve which can be uh, agnostic when it comes to platoon splits so you know there are more fastball curve guys that don't need a third pitch as badly than there are Correct. fastball slider. Yeah, I think we actually talked about you know? that during our pitch. Uh, Rich Hill and, and, and so on. But at the same time, we can't pretend that command is something you keep with you your exactly. whole life. Um, there are issues of athleticism in terms of repeating your, your delivery. There's, there's issues also of confidence. Dan Heron, you know, as much as he said, I throw it down the middle you know, on three one and 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 hope they pop it up, or or you know, there's there's still uh, there's still an athletic thing that ages. There's still an aging curve to command. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is exactly, and I don't know if we should be worried about Jose Quintana at 28. But considering that he's starting with averageish velocity, um, you know, there does there's a bit of whiff of risk. Also, he's just not going to give you any wins. He's going to be a bad wins pitcher. That's going to take away. That's going to take away, and his defense may even cost him an ERA. You know, so there there are all these these little things that bad teams can do to a pitcher. But yeah, at the same time, he's a solid guy. If I wanted to spend on the two, if if I didn't like what the hitters were doing, I, I'm not saying avoid Jose okay. Quintana. I think I think that that's uh, that that's that's fair and understandable. Um, Carson Fulmer, how, how do you how do you feel about him? Is he I, I talked about him maybe replacing the uh, the closer there if they trade Robertson and Jones because I just don't really see it as a starter. Is that how you view Carson Fulmer? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the, the movement numbers are okay. The changeup is is pretty decent, and you know it's it's a little bit about command with him, and uh, maybe it's you know maybe for him it's like figuring out the curve or the cutter uh, and, and figuring out the command piece. Just in general, I think that they don't know what they're doing yeah. with him. So you kind of have to just – I think spring will tell us something about what happens with Carson Paul. Okay. Uh, any any other general thoughts here on the White Sox as we wrap up? It could be – it's rare to have a team turn yeah. around so quickly. But the way – if you look at the Yankees – I know the White Sox aren't the Yankees, but the way that the Yankees got – premium prospects that were close to the big leagues for the guys that they traded away. I think that the White Sox... And there's still similar. lots of assets. So, we, we just talked about the two relievers, Quintana, if they did want to go that route, and uh, and Frazier and Melky. So that... And the guys that they got were are, are, mm-hmm. are huge. So, you know, I'd rather, I think, I think, this is an interesting one, would you rather be the White Sox or the Padres? Oh, the White Sox. 
that influx of yeah. talent was just so hot and they've got a few pieces that they, they could keep too. Like, I don't think that they have to move uh, a Brayu. And, you know, Nate Jones is only 31 and he's, he's, he's under a deal. So they don't have to move him. And then they've got their closer and they've got Quintana at 28 signed for a while too. So you got a big piece in every facet hitting off, uh, starter and reliever with that influx of talent plus Guys, I don't want to say ancillary for Tim Anderson, but he's not the super highest impact. He's still, you know, a, a, a middle piece that, that you're kind of working on. Um, I like what they're doing. The Padres, man, whew, it's so brutal right now. And I just, I, I don't know where they're going. Like, is it every day or every other day that they regret the Trey Turner, Joe Ross deal? And again, <laughs> Will Myers is great. Just, and also like, how many of these 17-year-olds are going to pan out, and exactly. how long do you have to wait exactly. for the 17-year-olds? So and, and they don't have as many tradable pieces. You know, uh, Yungaris Solarte is not bringing much. They don't have any pitch in the trade. Um, you know, if Brandon Maurer busts out as closer, they probably want to keep him. He's going to be 27. So you could keep him. I guess you trade Brad Hand, who, who had a nice season last year. But they don't have pitching the trade uh, or any real high-impact hitting because they're not trading Will Myers. So, no, it's the White Sox 20 times over right now in, in the comparison of those two teams. Maybe next time out we will talk about the, the, the Padres uh, for our breakdown. But maybe that maybe with when we do the Padres, we'll do a, a two teams in one episode because I just don't think it's going to be too long talking about what they've got going there. Uh I mean, it's it's not our wheelhouse in terms of talking about seventeen-year-old yeah, Venezuelans. So we're not, we don't have a lot you know, to offer there. So we're going to be talking about that. That's going to be one of the worst rotations of, of all it's time. So bad, so so bad. All right, Eno, great episode, great right. talking with you. Hope hope the kid uh, shapes up because you, you know, tell him to shape up or ship out. It's ship, ship out, out with that behavior. Okay, that's the one I, I'm, I'm rooting for. Ship. <laughs> Get out, move out, get home. Uh, I place. think you got like at least seventeen years until that, so so good luck there. But uh, <laughs> I will talk to you it. next week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. <laughs>